How's everyone doing? How many of you had a really good Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Awesome. Well, I had a great Thanksgiving and ate plenty of food and uh, still eating plenty of good food. We're going to be in James chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, also, in your bulletin is a listening guide that uh, you can follow along with us. Today we conclude the book of James, and it's been a delightful study for at least me personally. I've gotten a lot out of it, and we talked in chapter 1 about trials and temptations, how, you know, sometimes in life you face adversity, but God uses all things to help you overcome, and He's working in and through you. We talked about prejudice and how prejudice should have no place in the Christian's life. Um, last week we talked about being rich and poor and how sometimes those who are poor are actually rich and those who are rich are actually poor. If you want to know what I'm talking about, you have to listen to the sermon online. Today we're going to do a message called Life Happens. And I was reading a story, a reporter did a little story on this little bird named Chippy. It was a parakeet. And this little bird didn't see it coming. He was sucked in, washed out, and blown over. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, this little bird, everything was going well. His song was being sang, and um, he was having a good day. And the, the owner decided to vacuum out Chippy's cage. So she added the little nozzle to the vacuum cleaner, stuck it in the bottom of the cage, and then all of a sudden her phone rang. So she turned around to answer the phone, and the next thing she knew, the bird was sucked into the vacuum cleaner. And she didn't know what to do. She said, I'll call you back later. So she went to open up the vacuum cleaner, got to the bag, and thankfully Chippy was still alive inside the bag. So she did what any caring, compassionate bird owner would do. She's like, I've got to wash this dust and dirt off my bird. So she immediately ran to the bathroom, turned on full blast cold water, and gave Chippy a nice bath. But Chippy was shivering and cold, and it had been shocked. It had been sucked up and now washed over. And the bird owner did what any compassionate bird lover would do. While she was in her bathroom, she got out her hair dryer and started blowing hot air on Chippy to dry Chippy off. So the reporter uh, found out about this and called the next day and said, how's Chippy doing? And the bird owner said, well, Chippy's doing good, but he doesn't sing any longer. He just stands there and stares. (laughs) Wouldn't you, if you were blown in, washed over, and hot air blown at you, I mean, I would probably lose my song as, as well. Today in James, as we close out this book, just a little preview, we're going to talk about life happens. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we have struggles. Sometimes it's great in life and all is good. And sometimes even devout Christians sometimes get off the path. So we're going to talk about what to do when life happens and how to respond. Before we jump into the text, I have a fun little Thanksgiving story I haven't shared this with anybody but my wife so far. Um, we had family that was in town from Florida, and uh, it was my job to be the grill masters. How many of you men are the grill masters at your house? Raise your hand. All right. I don't know why that's a guy's job, at least in my household. I'm, I'm typically grilling out. So the problem is, is our little lighter, you know, those little push lighter, it stopped working. So I was like, okay. I just turned all three um, dials on full blast, opened the lid. And I, it's not working, and I don't have one of those long lighters, so I got a, a like a, a long um, paper towel, and uh, I put it in there, and I was like, you know, this is going to light. And as soon as, I guess I was going for a minute, so the gas was building up, 
And I literally lit my hair on fire. I kid you not. I, I burned some, some of my hair. My eyelash was burnt. And it was like the Michael Jackson effect. You remember when he caught his hair? Probably not that bad. But my hair was caught on fire. And I was like, I went back to my company from Florida. And I was like, uh, you won't believe what just happened. I caught my hair on fire. And I smelled like smoke. And it was a crazy thing. And it just reminded me that life happens. You're, you're having a good time. You're getting ready to cook out on the grill. And the next thing you know, your hair's on fire. So that happens. All right. So today's big question as we jump into the text is how do you maintain sanity in an insane world? How do you maintain sanity in an insane world? We're going to talk about that. So James 5, verses 13 through 20, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins." If you will, please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how powerful your word is. Father, we know life happens. There are some today who are experiencing pain. There are some in this congregation that are experiencing depression. There are some who are experiencing sickness in their body. There are some who are enjoying life and life is great. And God, there are some perhaps that have gone off the path. And God, I pray as we look into your word that you would speak to us and that we would not know what to do when life happens. And we know that God is the one who's in charge of all happenings, even when life happens to us. We pray that you give us understanding to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about what to do when life happens. Because we all know along the journey of life, whether you've lived 10 years or whether you're in your 80s or 90s in this place. Life is full of ups and downs. So if you look at your outline, the first point, when you're experiencing pain, what do you do when you're experiencing pain? Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The word suffering in the original Greek, it means to suffer or to endure hardships, evils, or troubles. You don't have to get out of bed very long to experience this type of pain in the world, right? Just going to work on a day and you get told off um, by your manager or by one of your employees. The world is full of suffering. I was reading a story about Rembrandt, one of the famous artists. In 1911, Rembrandt's famous painting, and it's a picture here, it's called The Night Watch. There was a drunken sailor that went in and he grabbed his knife, it was at a museum in Amsterdam, and he cut up Rembrandt's famous painting, slashed it to pieces. But one thing that struck me about this story is they didn't throw the painting away. 
They spent years trying to restore Rembrandt's famous painting. And aren't you glad God does that with our life? He doesn't throw us away when we've been cut up, when we've been hurt, when we've been suffering such pain. And what does James tell us to do? He says, whenever you're going through suffering, what does he tell us to do? To pray. You know, the thing about prayer is it actually works if you believe in prayer. And James says, whenever you're going through suffering of any kind, whether it's depression, anxiety, stress, panic attacks, whatever you name it, suffering could go a long list. He said the first response is to pray. So in your outline, your listening guide, I have several practical tips on how to make this a reality in your daily life. The first tip is this. Pray daily. Prayer is your power source. So without it, it's easy to feel depleted and defeated. So if you really want to tap in to what God's doing, pray daily. Number two, set up a date with God. How many morning people do we have in the audience? Any morning people? All right, how many of you don't wake up till about lunchtime? All right, how many night owls do we have? Good at night time. See, all of you have different times of the day. Pick the optimal time when you're at your best to connect with God. Even if you're not a morning person, it's good to start the day off with prayer, even if it's our Lord's Prayer, short prayer. But pray. Pick a time. Talk to God. Number three, pick a place where you'll have minimal distractions. In my house, with four youngsters running around, I have to go upstairs away from everybody. And I turn on my music and I, I, I get into God's presence because if you're praying and there's distractions, it's easy to uh, really get off, off tune with God. Number four, create a prayer list. So one of the things that I used to do is I used to have a Microsoft Word document and I would have four categories. I'd have family, friends, I would have the church, issues of the church, and I would have the big picture like missionaries, those in authority. How many of you have smartphones? Anybody? All right, more than half of you have smartphones. Now you can have the to-do list, and that, that keeps me on track. Some of you don't like prayer lists, and that's okay. Whatever keeps you organized to pray, that really helps. So James says when you're suffering, pray about it. Talk to God, because guess what? God knows what you're going through. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's one who feels your pain. He's one who understands your anxieties. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we can cast all our cares upon him because why? He cares for us. Number two, what to do when? When you're joyful or happy. It says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. You notice that it says psalms. We have 150 of them in the Bible. So it's saying that if you're happy, enjoy this time. Capture the moment. Because whenever you're joyful, guess what? There's going to be times of depression and hardship that come. And many of us in our good times, we don't seize the moment, we don't capture the moment. This is a moment for us to get replenished. So for those of you who are on cloud nine, enjoy it. Take it in. Because guess what? When you walk through the valley, you're going to need that replenishment that you received. So James says, if anyone's joyful or merry, let him sing. Proverbs 17, 22. It says, a merry heart does good like medicine. But a broken spirit does what? It dries the bones. So did you know that your attitude and the joy that you possess is like medicine? But if you walk around kind of like Eeyore off Winnie the Pooh, depressed, down, that's actually bad for your health. Speaking of good for your health, I have a little video I want you guys to watch. It's called Joyride.
All right, some of you are going to do some crazy stuff when you got a church today, I have a feeling. So saying that when you're joyful, enjoy it, seize the moment, capture it. Because guess what? There will be a day when times are tough. And you're going to need to build those reserves so that that will help you with that encouragement. Number three, what to do when you're sick. Verses 14 through 18 are really good verses. It says, is anyone among you sick? How many of you have ever been sick before where you didn't feel like you were going to get better? Anybody? I've had the flu like that and thought I was going to die. I mean, many, many of us have had worse sicknesses than that. Um, I remember two stories where one that, well, both were miraculous, but one was um, I was a pastor in Hendersonville, and there was a lady that was, lived right next door to where we did one of the life groups in the church. We had a life group that met in a condo, and uh, she found out, you know, that God was working in the church and in the lives of the believers, and she said, basically, I'm dying with cancer. And so I was able to go over her apartment and pray with her, and I presented the gospel to her. And she received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, and that was so excited, exciting. And we prayed for healing. And you know, the thing about it is, she still died. But you know, one thing that changed everything is, she's with the Lord now, and she's completely healed. And I've had other stories where I've prayed for healing, and you know, the leaders in the church and other spiritual People praying and God miraculously healed. You guys remember the story about my aunt who fell out of the car, shattered her, her leg, and they were going to have to amputate her leg, and many thought that she was going to die. Well, guess what? God supernaturally healed her. She's walking and driving again and living by herself. So I've seen both cases. But notice in verse 14 it says, If anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. So you're like, what is this talking about, anointing with oil? Well, in the Old Testament, they would anoint special people for a certain purpose. If you remember uh, King David, when it, whenever he was selected, the prophet, what did he do? He poured, poured oil on top of David. So kings and prophets and priests were all anointed with oil. So why does it say about anointing with oil in the New Testament? Well, some people speculate and say, you know, oil was medicinal back in the New Testament days. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan and how the guy had gotten beaten and they poured oil in his wound? So oil was medicinal, so some people will say that. But I believe that oil here, it doesn't exclude medicine, but I think it's referring to the spiritual work of God in a person's life. Because notice it says, the Lord will raise the sick. The Lord will raise them up. And it says, the prayer of the faith will save the sick. Notice it's the prayer of faith, and it's the Lord. So here's here's the question I want to ask you. If you're a Christian and you pray for healing, does God always answer your prayer for healing? Well, it kind of depends, right? Because one day we're all going to be healed in the Lord's presence. So the answer is actually yes, it's just a matter of when. He doesn't always promise healing now, immediately. So something, if you look in your listening guide, there's an insight from a certain study Bible. It says that while James was talking about ministry, he wasn't talking about a sick room. Um, excuse me, let me read the quote here. It says, while James is talking about ministry in a sick room, it's important to realize that he didn't use the medicinal term for healing. The Greek word he used means to be made whole and forgiven. So when we anoint with oil and pray for healing, we should anticipate God's response. So what, what, the, what the author was saying is, 
you are praying for God's healing, but ultimately you're asking for wholeness. So here's the thing. When someone's sick, you notice their response. If you look in your listening guide, their response is to call the who of the church, the elders of the church, the spiritual leaders. And there's been many people in times past that basically were sick and they said, well, no one came to visit me. Well, did you call the church and let them know? So James tells us it's your responsibility to call and let people know that you're sick. And it's the church's responsibility to go and pray. So some of you ask the question, do you guys still anoint with oil at Arden First? Absolutely. Because that's what the Bible says. So kind of the way I view it, oil is something that separates for a certain cause. So we mentioned prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil many times in the Old Testament. And that separated them for their, their duty as a prophet, a priest, or a king. So when you have a sick person that needs healing, and this is not just a common flu, this is like a sickness that goes on and it's, it's chronic. And one of the things that you can do is you can ask the church leadership to anoint you with oil and pray for you. And it's in God's hands what he does. So that's, that's something beautiful. So the oil separates that person. It means we're separating you for the purpose of prayer. So when you pour oil on someone, it's nothing magical. It means that we're separating you for a time of prayer and that God, we're going to put this in God's hands and he's going to do his work. But as I said, the Christian, the good news is we're all going to be healed one day, whether in this life or in the lifetime to come. Amen? So the lady that died of cancer, guess what? God still healed her. It just wasn't the way we prayed. She's completely healed with no sickness at all. So that's, that's, that's the courage I have as a pastor. I, I never promise anyone that God's going to heal you right now. But I do say God in his own timing, if you're a Christian, will heal you. And you will have no more sickness or pain when you meet God face to face. Amen. So the elders, who were the elders in the church? They were the leaders. They were the overseers. And their job, notice it says the prayer of faith. Well, whose faith is it talking about here? Is it the person sick or the elders? Well, it could include both, but I think James is specifically talking about the elders. They need to be people of faith who are going to pray for the sick. And there have been people in certain denominations, and I won't call any denominations, but if you end up sick, they'll say something, you didn't have enough faith. How many of you have ever heard that? You, that's why God's not healing you. This is not what James is, he's not saying that. He's saying the prayer of faith will save the sick. So he's saying the elder's faith is going to bring wholeness back to this person. And sometimes it means physical healing now. Sometimes it means physical healing later. So what do you do? I think in a church, we have to create an environment where people can open up about their sicknesses and their struggles. Notice in the next verse it says, confess your faults to one another. Did you realize that sometimes, not always, but sometimes there can be sickness attached to a certain sin in our lives? And you're like, oh, I never heard that before. Well, think about it. Sometimes if you have, let's say, anxiety, and it's built upon an unforgiveness of somebody. You, you haven't forgiven someone in your life. Is that something you need to let go before God can relieve you of that? Absolutely. There are certain sicknesses that you've got to really ask God why. And sometimes it has nothing to do with something you've done. It's just life happens. But James is saying whenever you're sick, always reflect, is there anything in my life that I need to ask God to forgive me of? Is there any lesson he's trying to teach me? So he's not saying every sickness is a result of your personal sin, but he says it's a good time to reflect. And notice it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So it's saying you need godly people in your life that are going to pour in you, godly mentors. And whenever you have godly leaders in your life helping you and praying for you, you know, what happens often in that community is healing. And God can really do something great. So in your listening guide, there's uh, some practical steps towards wholeness in your life. And as I mentioned, the, the original language, it talks about wholeness, not just the physical healing. But number one is live a life of repentance. Often when we get slowed down in life, it gives us time to reflect. And if there is any sin, I define repentance as a change of mind with a change of action. I remember when I was young, I thought repentance was just saying, I'm sorry, God, and I would go back and do the same thing again. And later on, I had a teacher saying, no, repentance is not just feeling sorry. Repentance is not just stop doing something. It's going in the other direction. So it's a change of mind with a change of action. Number two, be accountable to the mentors or the elders in the church. So that's, that's an encouragement to be connected to community, to be in a small group, to have other people that are praying for you. Number three, confession is good for the soul and for the body. So open up to someone you trust. Now, this is not some blanket thing to tell your sins to everybody. This is someone you trust. So I want to say that because sometimes you know how you can say something to someone and they're not trustworthy and it gets spread everywhere. And we don't need that. You don't need that in your life. Someone you trust. And number four, never underestimate the power of prayer for wholeness and healing. And James gives us the example of Elijah. Elijah was a person just like you and I. You guys remember how he stood up to 850 false prophets and the fire came down on, on the mountain. And then, you remember who challenged him? It was a lady by the name of Jezebel. And he stood up to 850 prophets, false prophets, and then he ran from one woman and he got depressed. And he said, I wish God would just kill me. And you're like, Elijah seems a little up and down, right? I mean, he, it was just like he was all over the place. But James uses his example. Look at Elijah. He had his highs and he had his lows, but yet God still used them. And if God can use someone as human as Elijah, he can use you and I as well. The story is told of D.L. Moody. Uh, many of you know a little bit of his background. Um, he, he was a famous pastor that spoke the, the Bible to millions of people. But something about D.L. Moody that's quite interesting is he had to drop out of school in the third grade. And he was raised, his Christians were unbelievers. And his dad died at a young age. And all this stuff was against him. And they said whenever you heard D.L. Moody's speech, his grammar was atrocious. He could barely pronounce certain words. And uh, he was speaking at a church in London. And one of the secular newspaper reporters came. And I'm guessing it was one of these uppity newspapers. And they said, I heard D.L. Moody and I saw him. By the way, he wasn't very attractive as a man and couldn't talk very well. I saw him and I heard him. And I see the results and I can't put two, the two together. It must be a God thing because like this guy... Why would millions listen to this guy? He's not attractive, he can't talk, and yet he's speaking to millions. And that's what God wants to do in your life. If he can use people like Elijah, uh, we mentioned about D.L. Moody with third grade education, he can use you and I. Amen? Number four, what do you do when someone turns away from God? Did you realize that even Christians can backslide? I mean, some of you are like, yeah, I, I know people in my family. Well, look at verse 19. It says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way 
will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So this is saying that someone in the church can turn away from God. Now, you've got to ask, who is this sinner talking about, verse 20? Is it a believer or is it a nominal believer that basically said, I believe, but they're not really following? Well, it could be interpreted either way. So if it's a believer, it's saying that if you go after someone that goes astray, it says you've saved them from physical premature death. That's what verse 20, you've saved a soul from death. But what death is it talking about? For a believer, it could only mean physical death. Now, what about if the person's not really saved, if they're not really Christian, and you see someone wandering from the truth? If that's talking about an unsaved person that hasn't been born again, you save that person not just from physical death, but from spiritual death, and you bring them into the fold of God. So when you read through the Bible, you read stories about Noah. Isn't it interesting how God spared Noah and his family and the whole world perished in the worldwide flood? And Noah was a righteous man. That's why God spared him, right? Does anybody remember what happened when he got off the ark? He planted a garden, started making wine, and he got drunk as a skunk. You remember that story? And this was a righteous man. He got drunk. God spared him just so he could. He survived and he got drunk. That's his. I mean, it's like, come on. So if Noah, a righteous man, could go off the path and mess up, how much more could you and I? Um, Pastor Steve Scoggins, many of you know him at First Hendersonville. He was telling a story about this couple he was trying to minister to. And basically, he was trying to minister to them because their marriage was falling apart. The, uh, the husband got a phone call one day from his wife's um, partner. She was having an affair with this another man. And the other man decided, I need to get right with God. So he called up the husband and said, I've been having an affair with your wife, and I just want you to know. So you can imagine all drama broke out. So Pastor Scoggins goes into the situation and... The husband is a godly man. He's wanting to try to work it out with his wife. He's like, I want to save the marriage. But the wife is not sure. She's like, I feel like I love this other man. So Pastor Scoggins took her out on the back porch and said, listen, you don't have love, you have infatuation. And eventually that, those romantic infatuations are going to die out. And by the way, one day you're going to have to give account to God for your marriage. There's going to be consequences. So he was able to coach the wife through it. And she basically asked the husband for forgiveness, God for forgiveness, all the parties, and they've been married and together since for two decades. How God... So this is a picture that people go astray. People make mistakes. But as a church, we're not to go after them in condemnation, but in restoration, in love. Amen. How many of you have ever heard the song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessings? All right, we sing it a lot. There's a story, it's unverified, but it's, 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 it's out a lot, so I think there's a lot of truth to it. But basically the story goes, Robert Robinson was the guy who wrote it. And it was in the 18th century in London, he was walking around, and he was really discouraged. And he heard a horse walking by, and he decided to get a ride with this horse, horse, horse and carriage. And there was a lady that was dressed for church, and she said, are you coming to church? He said, he almost said no, but he said, sure, I'll, I'll go. And... Uh, he was, uh, they, were, they were talking, and when he mentioned his name, Robert Robinson, she said, how fancy. And she pulled out a hymn book, and she said, I was just reading a song written by this guy named Robert Robinson. And he said, well, I'm the poor soul that wrote that. And he said, I would give anything to God that I could go back and feel what I felt when I wrote that song. And he had spent many years away from God, wondering. And the lady said this, she said, you also wrote, here's my heart, O Lord, take and seal it. She said, couldn't you offer your heart back to God as you once did? 
and will not God not accept you back? And according to the story, if, if it's 100% truth, we don't, haven't verified it, but she said she gave those words to him and he turned his life back to God after that. And um, in a little bit, I'm going to have a, a little video that we're going to see about his, his life. So what do you do when? Just a little review. What do you do when you're experiencing pain? The Bible says pray, right? What do you do when you're joyful or happy? The Bible says to, to sing. Let your light shine. Let it out. What do you do when you're sick? Call the elders. Ask them to pray for you. And we are a church that believes in that. So if, if you have a chronic illness, like a illness, like I said, this is not the simple flu, but this is like an ongoing. If you want to call the elders, we will pray for you. We will anoint you with oil and we will put you in God's hands. And we leave the results in His hands. Uh, what do you do when someone turns away from God? The Bible says we're to go after them and to bring them back with love and with compassion. So your take-home tr- truth is this. When life happens, don't forget this one truth. It's not what happens to you, but it's what happens in you that really matters. So your lunch question as you guys go out to your homes and restaurants is the question we started with. How do you maintain sanity in such an insane world? You know what? You've got to turn your attention to God and allow Him to be the Lord of all your happenings. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much for what You're doing in our lives. God, I pray right now if there's someone that's experiencing pain or suffering, depression, um, if they're experiencing anxiety, panic attacks, whatever the list may be, I just pray that You would reach out to them now and comfort them. God, I pray for the one that's having a great time right now. Life is wonderful. Help them to enjoy that and use this to fuel up their tank for when life is hard, that they they enjoy the mountaintop experience for the valley when they go through that. And God, for those who are sick and it's chronic, I just pray that you would give them the courage to make that need known and that, God, the leaders of the church would rally around that person and put them in your hands. And know that your, your will is the best. And God, if there had been anyone like Robert Robinson that's turned away from you, I pray that today would be the day they come home. That they would say they need you as their Lord and Savior. And right now as everyone's praying, I just want to talk to someone, that last, that last point we talked about, with everyone praying. Would there be anyone that would say, Pastor Timothy, I need to come home today. If that's you, to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. No one looking around. I need to come home today. If that is your prayer, right where you're sitting at, if you'll just say this prayer in your heart to the Lord, no magic in your words, just your prayer of faith. Say, Jesus, I've been running too long. I want to come home. Please come into my life. Please forgive me for where I've strayed, where I've sinned. Lord, I'm not willing to live in this life any longer. I turn from it and I turn to you. I make you my Lord, my Savior, my friend. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. At this time-